everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. Today, I'm joined by someone I've known in the industry for a long time, Kate Miller, the founder and CEO of Miss Grass. Kate, how are you? I feel like I just saw you in New York and now we get to do this awesome podcast. Let's keep it up. I love it. And we actually, Kate and I have some cool partnership that was pre-announcement to the show, but you'll be hearing from the two of us in a couple of weeks. We've been doing some great work together. So I'm really, it seems like our teams feels like we were kind of, the t- our two teams were like meant to work together. A hundred percent. I hear it's going so well and we're really excited to launch it with you all. Kate, let's, let's start out by talking a little bit about your career pre-cannabis. What were you doing before the cannabis industry? And then, of course, you know what, what made you decide to, to go into the cannabis industry and launch a, a leading women's brand? So directly before cannabis, I had about a 10-year stint working in the entertainment space. Um, directly prior to starting Miss Grass, I was working for a company named Broadway Video in New York. Um, which is Lauren Michaels' company, who is the creator and producer of Saturday Night Live, Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Late Night with Seth Meyers, Portlandia, and a bunch of other film, television, and digital properties. I was handling brand partnerships for all the entertainment IP that uh, the company owned. So um, that's somewhat what I was doing even prior to that um, on the brand partnership side. So always, you know, monetizing... uh, really valuable brands, which somewhat, you know, really planted and reinforced my belief in the power of brand and ultimately, you know, developing and building a really valuable brand IP. Um, You know, Saturday Night Live is one of the most iconic brand IPs in the entertainment space. And just our ability to monetize that IP from brand partnerships, licensing it around the world, doing a Tosh and Coffee Table book, doing a collection with Saks Fifth Avenue, like you name it, there's so there was so much opportunity to ultimately monetize that property because of how valuable that was, which somewhat, you know, inspired Miss um, Grass, which was always, uh, you know, a brand play in this space. So that's really what, what uh, reinforced that. Um, particularly in the cannabis space, I personally have always been a passionate cannabis consumer um, for a very, very long time, which dates back to my early days growing up in Jersey. Um, my brother, who probably was the first one, if I really think back, uh, who introduced me to weed, definitely the first person I ever smoked with, uh, he landed up actually getting arrested for cannabis distribution, manufacturing, and possession his senior year of high school. I was a junior in high school at the same time. Um, And that is, you know, also opened my eyes to understanding the history of cannabis a bit more than probably most people did at that time. This is like 2003 or whatnot. Um, Fast forward, I graduated and moved out to California to attend college out there, which at the time had a medical cannabis program. So as someone who loved weed. I walked into a cannabis dispensary and from the first time and was, you know, kid in the candy shop blown away with all the choices and, um, you know, different form factors and the hundred milligram lollipops and shit. I was just like, holy moly, this is amazing. While at the same time, I was like, I have to get into the space. Um, you know, early days thinking like, this is the time to get in way too early, but I did land up working as a medical bud tender in 2007, 2008, purchased the URL back then, missgrass.com, 
and sat on it um, while I graduated and had that decade-long career and in the entertainment space before ultimately getting back into cannabis in 2017. So in 2017, you already had the, UR, the URL, MissGrass.com. So, so how did you go from having a URL and an idea and some history as being a medical bud tender and, of course, studying brand through your career? How did you take that and actually take it from idea to execution? I feel like for us as entrepreneurs, it's so intuitive, right? We, Of course, there needs to be a Vanks in the world and there needs to be a MissGrass in the world and you... Just do it. But I think from a lot of people, like the, 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 the thing from getting from idea and URL to business is like, seems much more complicated than it actually is. So I'd love to hear how you went from idea, URL to business. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer that everything evolves and especially in this place. So, you know, what just moving the needle forward little by little kind of just all of a sudden it became this thing where I decided, okay, I either need to do this full time or not. Um, it started as a URL. It started as a website that I built myself on, um, not Squarespace, uh, Wix. Wix. Thank you. That's what I used too. I used, I used Wix for Graduana. Oh, that's so funny. The original name of angst. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We no longer use Wix, but at the time it was like build a website for dummies on Wix. Yep. So I did that. And it was like 10 bucks or something. Super easy. And it like had all the templates that you could easily choose. Well, I mean, it wasn't anything, but it was a site that you can go to the URL and like see something. And that just existing, I, you know, was part of conversations when people were talking about the cannabis space legalization had like kind of just started to sweep the nation. California was just about to vote for recreational. So it was somewhat right place, right time. I got an opportunity to do a a Coachella event with Weed Maps in 2017. This is pre-Miss Grass launch or the Miss Grass that you know today. And, you know, took that opportunity, which essentially programmed out a Missgrass Lounge, a geodesic dome at Coachella at the Weed Maps Oasis, Green Oasis. Um, And one thing led to another. It just started gaining momentum and following and decided now's the time to lean in fully and build a true business plan and do the damn thing. So I, around that time, I uh, put in my termination at my previous company Um, Landed up staying there for, you know, just shy of another three months looking for someone to replace me while I told them, hey, I'm in no rush. (laughs) First time entrepreneur here didn't necessarily know exactly the the right steps to take. But it was great because then I was within an organization and who had resources that I can, you know, chat with their CFO on how to build my first, you know, business model and financial plan. And, you know, how do I go out to a fundraise? So that was super helpful. Which I think is such a critical point of like, so you can, I think a, a thing that entrepreneurs take for granted is like, you can do this at nights and the weekend and you can leverage the people around you. You know, like I, I think a lot of people think that it's, they got to completely quit their job and go all in. But so many businesses get started at nights and the weekend for, for, for a while. Honestly, and I like strongly, strongly, strongly recommend people not to quit their job and yeah. start a full-time, you know, entrepreneurial self-funded journey. Um, it takes time to fundraise. If ultimately that's someone's first step in launching a business, it takes time to gain momentum. 
So I really feel, I mean, it's, it's pretty like basic entrepreneurial 101, but build the demand before you have the supply, like get it to a point where it's like, absolutely, I do not have the bandwidth to juggle multiple things. I need to lean in full time, um, which kind of is what happened for me. It was at, at a inflection point of, okay, I either need to not do anything with this grass anymore because... I have a full-time job or, or lean in, which obviously. Yeah. I was just like doing some quick, I was just like doing some math while you're saying this. So if we think about a week, so there's, there's 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. So there's 168 hours in a week. Let's assume people sleep eight hours. So that's like 56 hours. You got to work eight hours a day. So 40 hours a week, that leaves us with like 72 extra hours per week that people have where they're not sleeping and they're not working. So, I mean, that's 72 hours. That's more than the work week, right, that you could use to build your business. I mean, you're not going to be going to the beach with your friends, and there's going to have to be a sacrifice. But there's plenty of time if you want to make it happen bad enough, right, Um, to sleep, exercise, work a full-time job, and have that same amount of time basically left over to start another business. So I'm always like to people like, yeah, your job from five to ten when you go to bed is to to build your other business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know everyone's journey is is quite different, um, and I think where we somewhat lucked out just as it relates to timing is there was just so much momentum uh, for the cannabis space in 2018, 2019. Oh my god, it was so <laughs> great. I miss it. Me too. Me too. Um, so yeah, so it was right place, right time. Well, okay. So, so yeah, so keep going with the story. Yeah. So you're working that you're working the job. You've got the CFO helping you with the financial model. Things are going well. At what point did you actually, you know, what was the tipping point where you said, all right, now I'm going all in on this? Yeah. Well, at that point I had already committed to going all in on it, which, which enabled me to be fully transparent at the job, at the job, my previous job, while looking for someone to replace me and kind of sunset my role there and onboard someone new, while also kind of juggling truly like leaning in and about to, you know, launch Miss Grass. Um, But like I said, it was kind of a a blessing in disguise, still being there and being able to do that. Because, you know, I built the first financial model there. I built our first or iteration. I mean, it's constantly evolving, but first iteration of our fundraise deck. And the CEO of the company landed up putting our first check um, investment he made into Miss Grass. So at, as soon as I was kind of sunsetting my role there, he had you know seen me over the past several weeks really ramping up to do this full time and did put in our first investment into the company. My last day at Broadway Video living in New York, I got on a plane and moved back out to LA because in 2017, I felt I needed to be in California. And I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, you, you didn't actually start out by launching with a product, right? It was more of what was the original version of Miss Grass that you launched with? Yeah, we did not launch with product, which I do feel is somewhat unique for brands in the space. Um, we, you know, set out to be a brand in the space, but we looking at other product led brands felt, damn, like you can't really build a nation or even global community and customer base and, you know, brand loyalty because of how fragmented the, you know, infrastructure is and regulatory uh, structure is in cannabis. 
So we decided to launch initially as a online community platform, which we had an on and still do have an online magazine um, where we've, uh, you know, we did more in the early days than we do now. Um, but there's, you know, call it 3000 plus pieces of editorial content on there on all things, cannabis, uh, education led, mainly history, product, science. Um, and we were monetizing through an e-com marketplace of all uh, ancillary and hemp derived cannabinoid products. So things that we could put in the mail shipped to all 50 states, which enabled us to really build quite a large community and customer base across the entire country, not just within one state and collect a ton of data along the way, which ultimately informed what became the Miss Grass product line, which we launched just shy of three years into the business. So like two and a half years later, we launched our first product. Which kind of reminds me of the story that I've heard about Glossier, where they started with, you know, the 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 blog, right, to develop, the, the you know, the, the following and then created the brand. Okay, so so you were about three years ago, you had a ton of data, a ton of people coming to the site, a ton of people consuming your content, getting educated. I was one of those people. Then you decided to launch a brand. Talk to us about the brand that you launched and, and really what it is and where it started. And, you know, then, then we can talk about where, where, where you are today, three years later. And yeah. And to be honest, you know, we launched the brand when we launched initially in January of 2018, we launched product. Product. And- Sorry. That, yeah, yeah. I, I messed that up. Yeah. Yeah. The brand still, you know, the mission, the values still true six years ago, as it was three years ago when we launched product. Um, and product is, you know, one extension of our brand. And we launched uh, Miss Grass Minis first, which are our mini packs of pre-roll joints. And that was really informed by our community. Um, a lot of kind of data um, and first person, you know, connection with our community inspired it. Um, to give you one example, before we launched or before we even started developing our own product, we uh, pushed out a survey to our community and overnight 7,600 community members responded to this survey, which informed a lot of things. One for one, it informed the size of our Miss Grass Minis because we, it was overwhelming how many community members informed us that they never get through a full one gram joint in a setting. And that inspired the size. It inspired us doing pre-rolls to begin with. So yeah, we launched those in our uh, SKUs, Fast Times, Quiet Times, and All Times, which are really Terp-led and focused uh, pre-roll packs. Um, so we're really consistent state-to-state, looking at uh, a terpene profile to make sure that our Fast Times always is feeling a specific high versus our Quiet Times, All Times. Um, so we now have those um when we've launched other products since then, but those Miss Grass packs, Miss Grass minis are in currently five markets, California, Nevada, Illinois, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. So fundraising, I know I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit, but of course this is not, this is a somewhat capital intensive endeavor, particularly as you created products to launch them. Can you talk to us about your fundraising journey in cannabis? Because obviously we've both raised, I think we have some mutual investors and uh, raising in cannabis is not super easy. 
especially now. Oh my God. It definitely yeah. is not easy, nor was it ever easy. I shouldn't say just now, but now in particular, the capital markets are extremely dry and there's not a lot of investments into space overall. Yeah. I mean, fundraising was and is an extremely challenging endeavor and one that does take up a lot of time and resources. And I know there are some CEOs out there that that is their job and their main responsibility for their organization is to go out and raise capital. Um, I do a lot of other things beyond that. So, you know, it's, it's, it was very challenging to juggle it all while also fundraising. Um, we've raised three different financing rounds throughout the six years of Miss Grass. And yeah, we do share some investors, including Casa Verde, and I'm sure there's others too that we that we share. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, as of lately, I have, you know, call it the past 18 months-ish, I have been building and leading this organization very differently than I was early days at Miss Grass, which early days, you know, we very much were building and scaling to hit certain, you know, milestones that would support our next round of capital. Where now we are like heads down running a profitable organization and not going out and like trying to get to the next milestone to fundraise. And, you know, honestly, it was inspired at a necessity to, to survive. But, you know, I wish I would have almost like been leading the organization that way all along, to be honest. It's kind of like, so we're in the same boat of we've, we've done, yeah, we've done three rounds also. And similar to you, I mean, I think last year around this time, the writing was kind of on the wall. Like not only is cannabis facing its own headwinds, but just VC in general. And so it's like, you got two, two things that are hard right? Raising money in general has become much harder, especially for later stage companies like us that have already raised three rounds and cannabis is really hard. And so I think you got the memo. I think I got the memo of like, we may never be able to raise again. So we better make the money that we have last for a long time. And at first it was, at least for me, and I'm curious your experience. At first it was kind of like uh, a shell shock for everyone in our company. Um, and now it's, it's like, it's honestly like freeing, right? To just know like we got to make more than we spend. And that's the, that's the goal here. And like, I, I say that to people that aren't in VC companies and they look at me like I have 10 heads, like, no oh, shit, you have to, duh, it's a business. Um, but it's totally different. And I, I, we've seen, you and I have seen so many of our friends and people that we know just literally go out of business because they ran out of money and they couldn't raise. And so, you know, while we've both had to make some hard calls, you know, we couldn't hire all the people that we wanted to hire. Maybe we had to let some people go. Maybe we couldn't go into this market. Maybe we couldn't go to this trade show. Like we're still in business. And as long as you're profitable could stay in business for forever. Um, control. I mean, like, I love it. Control your own destiny. Like I love that. That's where you guys are. And I think it's such a testament to you because so many people have just like, boom, gone out of business, dead in the water. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it does speak to to the beauty of our business model, where it's funny because three years ago when we launched, we are an asset light brand, meaning we do not own a license in any state that we, you know, have product. Um, we go and hold hands with a supply chain partner and stack a supply chain in the varying states. We'll launch our sixth state of New York in September, followed by 
another state, which is a little bit too far out to, to mention, but we'll, la- we'll launch another state towards the end of the year, making it our seventh state, which the only way that we could do that with how much we actually raised is our business model, where we're not going in and building a cultivation site and owning manufacturing and all of the like working capital and CapEx that goes along with that. We are in many states putting up almost zero working capital, where in some states, our supply chain partner actually even pays for our packaging. Um, we in many states are now bringing over our own genetics, but they're, they're growing weed, they're, you know, uh, they're cultivating, they're manufacturing, um, they're packaging our pre-rolls or our flour or infused pre-roll SKUs we're selling and marketing and they're, you know, delivering it to the respective stores and we get a piece on the back end of that. So it is a really nice business model in a very capital constrained market at the moment because it doesn't require, you know, too much upfront investment to be able to to scale and all all of our states are profitable. And it's worked for other companies too. I last week we had Nancy Whiteman the founder and CEO of Wana, who never raised... I mean, it sounds like you're on a very similar track to her. And I mean, I think she's made more money in the cannabis industry than anybody. And she didn't, you know, she didn't raise any money. So it sounds like you haven't raised a lot. You guys are following very similar models. And I mean, she was able to build like the brand in, in cannabis. So I, I think you're definitely on the right path here. And, and you and I have both seen so many people that have tried to go into states with the capital intensive model. And we've seen what a nightmare it's been. How did you have the instincts to, to go capital light or was it just totally out of necessity? A little bit both. I mean, it's it started as us really identifying what our skill set is and what our strengths are. And we are brand marketers. We are community builders. We know how to market to a specific community and convert them to sell, you know, to sell product. We are not cultivators. We are not, you know, manufacturers. We do not excel in the logistics of what distribution entails. So we always were like, let's hone in on what we're good at. And, you know, maybe down the line, maybe it makes sense to go deeper into supply chain and extract more margin. But right now we decided stick to what we know and hold hands with people who know what they know. Um, So it kind of started as that coupled with, yeah, we just didn't have the capital to go into all of these markets and you know, own a supply chain ourselves. Speaking of talents, as a as the founder, how have you decided like where you're going to spend your time and what your superpowers are and, and how to decide, you know, who to hire around you? Because I think that's something myself as an entrepreneur always struggles with and always like to learn from other people on, on how they do it because I think I could do a better job. I definitely could do a better job. So I'm not sure I'm, I should be the one that's, that's instilling any knowledge here, but... I think it's a constantly evolving um, process. And honestly, where I spend my time has constantly evolved in the six plus years of um, leading Miss Grass. Right now, it's, and I would say always, it's always kind of a, a game of like trying to leverage the limited, you know, hours that we all have in a day to put towards the most, you know, effective things that I can drive the most return for the organization. Um, essentially an easier way to say this is like focus on the top priorities of the business that, uh, you know, are moving the needle. Um, of course, that's very challenging in a, 
in an environment when we're a very, very small team. So there's, of course, there's things that come up that are definitely not top priorities that sometimes it's just like you got to get in and just get shit done because no one else is doing X, Y, and Z. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I, I really try to focus on some of our bigger relationships and partnerships with our top retail partners from across the state. I focus on our top relationships with our supply chain partners. Um, and really it's about, I mean, I'm speaking to like the talent queen over here, but it's really about finding recruiting and onboarding and like building a team of a list talent in every single role. What are, when you think about talent, what are, Obviously, over the six years, I'm sure you've made a lot of amazing hires. And I'm sure if you're like me, you've made a lot of not amazing hires. Despite owning a hiring business, I've had my fair share of uh, less than amazing hires. So what have you found for your business? Like, what do you, what is that characteristic that you look for in people that, you know, you just can't find on a resume, but it's something that you know as a founder that you really look for that's the, the type of person that's like excelled within your company? Yeah, I mean, I think every role is a bit different, but you know, what comes to mind is this is this innate like curiosity and hustle of talent. Um, you know, I think not everyone is suited for startup and um, the cannabis world, so there needs to be also like a work ethic um, and a hard work ethic that's ingrained in you know him or her. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at it. Um, it is a skill set in terms of, of finding recruiting and, and onboarding incredible talent. That was one that I really need to needed to strengthen in terms of even just like right now, before we go out, I build a internal really detailed scorecard of like exactly what is the profile of someone that they need like down to their values like their skills of course like down to everything we kind of like create this person before we actually go out to hire so that when we find that person they check off all the boxes we're like yep we know there's an awesome book called who and it's a uh, you know that's, that's where i took that from okay that's where you took yeah. it from i was gonna say you must you must use it but i gotta tell you like the number one mistake that we see people make when they're hiring is they don't do the exercise of literally identifying who it is they need. So I'll give you an example that I see all the time. People come to us and they say to us, we need to hire a VP of sales or a chief revenue officer. So we are, okay, well, that sounds good. What do you need this person to do? And they're like, we need to um, grow sales in this market by 100%. And we say, okay, so... Um, what does the team look like that's underneath the, this person? And they're like, no, no, we don't have a team. We need this person to go actually sell. And it's like, okay, so you need a sales rep is what you need. You don't need, you know, when you say chief revenue officer, that's somebody that's going to come in, either manage an existing team or build out a team, is going to be, you know, implementing HubSpot or Salesforce, is going to be creating territories, is going to be creating goals, is going to be creating commission structures, incentive plans, you know, that's really not what you need. You need to like literally launch a market and get your product in onto the shelves of people. And so, but we see time and time again, people just, you know, download a job description from the internet and rush into the world and try to make a hire and they don't even hire the right person. So like the fact that you at Miss Grass are doing the scorecard makes you 99% better than every single cannabis company out there, which is, which is, you know, testament to you guys. It's been an evolution, but yeah, we have been, 
you know, we've been really fortunate. We haven't hired that many people because we're a very small and mighty team. Um, but we've been fortunate to have incredible um, talent who have worked with us and evolved with us. Our business has, has changed over the six years. Um, and some people are from early days and, you know, many are from post us launching product and really like not pivoting, but evolving the business to a true now CPG brand and, you know, the skill set that, that, um, you know, talent requires to be successful in that endeavor. Yeah. It definitely seems like you have rider dies at Miss Grass with you, uh, Switching gears a little bit, I know I know we're coming up on on time here, but I did want to talk about the New York market. And so, I feel like when I whenever I have questions about the New York market, you're somebody that I think of because, you know, you're you're there and you're very connected to the people in New York. What's like the too long didn't read on New York right now, and you know what do we need to have happen for this market to reach its full potential? We released our jobs report, and right now there's only 2,500 people employed in New York cannabis. But if the market you know totally opened up and and and, and was able to reach its maximum potential, there could be close to 80,000 full-time employees in New York. That's that's amazing, great-paying jobs, tax revenues, they go back to schools and everything else. But like you know, it's just hard when there's you know what couple dozen uh, retail locations. So so kind of what's your take on what's going on, boots on the ground? It's early, early, early days of New York, and it's going to take some time. Um, yeah, there's about 20, a little bit over 20 uh, retail shops that are currently open, legal retail shops, I should emphasize, because there's a lot of illegal shops that are selling cannabis in the state right now. Um, and there is a plethora of cannabis from... Um, you know, many of the cultivators that have harvested their outdoor harvests now close to coming on a year ago. So definitely from a supply and demand perspective, it's an interesting state because many states that come online, you know, start with a, the demand far outweighs the supply um, because it takes, you know, cultivators some time to really like gear up. New York State all the supply hit the market without a single retail um, license being issued. So the timing of this market has, has really not been, um, yeah, just, it just didn't align. Um, that being said, I am an internal optimist um, overall. And in particular with New York, I do feel as it relates to our play of being a brand in the space, like, some of the most incredible, authentic brands are going to come out of New York, start here, be here. They're the ones that are already here that are coming to the legal market that will, you know, be household cannabis names. Um, and just from a brand building exercise, like this is the market where a lot of excitement and opportunity to really build brand value and some of the retail stores are moving volume and there's only 20 stores that are open. So there is still, you know, opportunity from a sales perspective as well. I, I'm very into longevity these days and optimists live longer. So there you have it. Kate's going to, even if, even if New York takes uh, two more decades, uh, the optimists are going to be the one that make the most money and are there to, to, to see it in the end. And I'm with you. Like, just going to take a little bit more time. I actually was just when we hopped on this podcast, I was writing my Q2 investor update. And I said, we, we all just have to come to terms with the fact that this industry is going to take longer to develop than any of us maybe originally anticipated. But when you think about all emerging 
industries, a lot of them have boom and bust cycles and the people that can make it through the, 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 the big busts win in a huge way. And so I know that Miss Grass and you will be people, the last one standing in a hundred years from now, your brand will, will be here for your grandkids to enjoy. So can't wait to continue to follow your journey. And uh, Kate and I have a, obviously a big announcement coming with both of our brands soon. So Kate, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Thanks so much, Carson. You're the best. See you soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.